Hello, everybody. Michael Lombardo here. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. If you are new to the show, we have a new episode every Monday and Thursday streaming on the Charisma Podcast Network.com. You can also find it on Charisma Plus. It is a new app. Um, where all of our episodes, over 100 episodes now, are on there. A bunch of free content for you guys to glean from, receive from. And we have guests on from around the world who released um, a recent message to the body of Christ, um, as well as testimonies of the Lord Jesus. Me and my wife come on. We break down revelation from the Word of God. And it's our desire out of Ephesians 5.14, which states, Awake, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That was written to believers, not unbelievers. And that was the Apostle Paul who scribed that letter. And it is my desire for the body of Christ to be awakened to the beauty of Jesus, to the beauty and the power of the gospel, the true authentic gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, as well as for us to know who we are in him, the tools we have so we can truly destroy the works of the enemy and release the kingdom of God in the earth. And so I, my guest today, um, I've received from his teachings for years. Uh, when I was at Christ for the Nations Institute, he was a teacher. He came and and taught strongly from the word of God. He's got a rich revival history, and um, it's an honor to have him on. We're going to be talking about a subject that's near and dear to my heart. I have a love and a passion for Israel, God's people, and um, and so this is this is you know a very important show in my estimation. And so my guest today is Dr. Michael Brown. He is the founder and president of Ask Dr. Brown Ministries and the president of Fire School of Ministry. He's the author of more than 40 books, and he's the host of the nationally syndicated daily talk show, radio show, entitled The Line of Fire. His columns appear on many leading websites, and his, schol- and his scholarly publications range from biblical commentaries to articles in Semitic journals and theological dictionaries. He served as a visiting professor and adjunct professor at several leading seminaries and has debated activists and professors, orthodox rabbis on university campuses. If you go online on YouTube, you'll see so many, so much content tackling hard questions, you know, dealing with Muslims and Jews and homosexuals and so many different people, you know, just bringing the light of God and so much truth. And so thank you so much, uh, Dr. Brown, for joining me today. Uh, great to be with you. Thanks for the kind introduction. <laughs> Absolutely. It's my joy. And so I like to ask my guests, especially who joined the show for the first time, I know you probably got to give the short version, but how did you first come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I know you're, you're Jewish. And so how did you come to know Jesus as your Messiah? I was born in New York City, raised on Long Island in a nominal Jewish home, but Jewish enough to know that we didn't believe in Jesus. There was kind of <laughs> us, the Jews, and everybody else. Sure. But I was bar mitzvah at the age of 13. Think of someone raised in church that goes to church Christmas, Easter, and is confirmed. Well, that's kind of me and the synagogue. We went for the high holy days. I, I had a couple of years of Hebrew school, was bar mitzvah at the age of 13. But that was more of a social event for me than a mm-hmm. spiritual event. And what really impacted me when I was 13 was going to my first rock concert. I'd started playing drums when I was eight. The Beatles had come to America when mm. I was nine. That was just the culture of the day, the whole rising rock scene. I saw Jimi Hendrix in concert when I was 13, and boy, I wanted to be in a rock band and be like the rock stars. And sure. when I was 14, uh, a close friend asked me if I want to try doing drugs. I thought, well, smoking pot, I mean, that's what the rock stars do. Plus, you're not supposed to do it, so that kind of gave it appeal. <laughs> So I, I tried smoking pot. It had no effect on me. I tried a harder drug, hash. That had no effect on me. Soon enough, I was doing much harder drugs because my body had a high tolerance to drugs. 
By the time I was 15, I was shooting heroin. Wow. Had the nickname in my school of Drug Bear and Iron Man because I was such a heavy drug user. So everything from ups and downs to LSD to speed to to heroin. Mm. And that became my identity, playing drums in a rock band. We had a good band for kids our age, going to rock concerts, getting high. And I thought I was cool. I thought I was doing great. I hadn't been arrested, hadn't been in jail, wasn't strung out. But I was rapidly descending into real destruction and just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And my two best friends, fellow band members, liked these two girls in a little Italian Pentecostal church. Uh, their dad was praying for them for years. Their uncle was the pastor. They were in rebellion at that time as well. But little by little, started getting drawn into the church. My friends went to hang out with the girls, and because it was Pentecostal, that interested them, you know, (laughs) angels, demons, Mm -hmm. healing, you know, that stuff was real to these people. And then the pastor was teaching a lot out of the book of Revelation, so end-time prophecy, and that got their attention. Little by little, they started to change. I went to pull them out and to show them this whole thing was silly. Instead, people began to pray for me, and by the end of 1971, I was radically born again. I somehow, not through intellectual argument, but just through the gospel being shared with me and people praying, I knew that I knew that Jesus was real, that he died for my sins and rose from the dead. And now my big crisis was, well, what am I going to do with my life? Because I don't want to stop doing drugs. I don't want to stop being a rock drummer. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So I had a, a deep battle for about five weeks until I got overwhelmed with a revelation of God's love and goodness. I mean, deep conviction in my life for weeks and weeks, and then a revelation of his love. And at that point, by his grace, I surrendered. That was December 17th of 71. I said, Lord, I'll never put a needle in my arm again, and was, was free from that moment on. And then when my dad saw the change in my life, he said, he said, you know, glad to see you're off drugs, but Michael, we're Jews. We don't believe this. So he brought me to meet the local rabbi, and the local rabbi and I became good friends, and he began to challenge me. You don't even know Hebrew. How can you tell us what to believe? So yeah. that, mm-hmm. that led to my academic studies in Hebrew and ultimately getting my Ph.D. In, in Near Eastern languages and literatures because I wanted to be able to study the scriptures on my own in the original language and, and not need to rely on what anyone else was saying. And along the way, uh, that became part of my life ministry and calling. So we have three R's in our ministry. Revival, revolution, redemption. So Mm. revival is revival in the church, awakening, God's people coming to life. So Awaken podcast, I I bet you like awakening. Oh, amen. And then uh, the middle R, revolution, a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution. As Jesus impacts us, we impact the culture around us. And then lastly, redemption, redemption of Israel, Jewish people saved. So to this day, this is a major focus of who we are and what we do. Hey, man, I love that. Thank you so much for giving that background. And since you are Jewish, you would consider yourself a Jew that believes in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, I would imagine, because I know I've spoken to a lot of Jews. I've done a lot of evangelism. And one thing they say is, well, well, you want me to give up on on my Jewish roots and just become a Christian? They think of, you know, Gentiles and Christians. They lump them together and they're thinking that we're telling them to forsake their Jewish roots and, you know, not to be a Jew anymore, but to be a Christian. But I tell them, no, honestly, you know, in the new covenant, Jesus Christ, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. We still read the scriptures that you read. We just believe that Jesus is the fulfillment and I've had so many Jewish friends that have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they still consider themselves Jews, but you know, they believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Would you say that's accurate? 
Yes, obviously you have to leave a lot of Jewish tradition behind because the rabbis went in one way in forming Judaism yes. and the, the Messianic faith mm-hmm. went in a different way. And, and of course, our identity is found in being in Jesus, That's right. not in being Jewish, but it is part, it's a secondary part of our identity, just like being male or female. It's not our primary identity is being in Jesus, but then there's a secondary or tertiary identity of being male or female, being Jewish or Gentile. But what most Christians don't understand is that for many Jews, Christ is a dirty word. Mm-hmm. For many Jews, Christian or Christianity are dirty words. Many Jews, especially religious Jews, believe there's a straight line from the New Testament to the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the book, the new book of mine that we're going to talk about, Christian Antisemitism, I need to give a little background. The rabbi that I met as a new believer, one of our first meetings, he gave me a book about antisemitism in church history. And it was a complete shock. I, I had no idea some of the most famous names in church history were anti-Semites or wrote or spoke very ugly anti-Jewish things, yeah. or that the mm-hmm. church had been responsible for so much Jewish suffering through history. Whether these were false Christians or true Christians, to a Jew, they're just Christians. That's how they're looking at it. And I, I was able to kind of separate myself from that because my church was was a church that loved Jewish people and prayed for Israel, where yeah. I got saved. And because I wasn't Presbyterian or Catholic or Lutheran, I was not looking back through church history as much as going straight back to the Bible. You know, that's how we mm-hmm. related spiritually. We're Pentecostal, charismatic. We go straight back to the Bible. But as the years went on and I would share the gospel with Jewish people, this is an objection that comes up constantly. What about church history? What about the terrible things Christians have done in Jesus' name. And the strength of my argument was to say, listen, I know this happened. I know it's aberrant. I know it's inexcusable. It's ugly, but it's not the reality of born-again Christian life. And I could literally say, go around the world with me. Go with me to India. Go with me to South Korea. Go with me to this country in Europe. Go with me Mm -hmm. to this country in Africa. Meet the Christians there And you'll see they have a great love for Israel and the Jewish people. And many of them are shocked when they hear the story of of the past. Well, the problem now is that in our own day, right here in America, anti-Semitism is rising again, and it's rising in Jesus' name to the point that the second synagogue shooting we had a, a couple, a couple years ago, the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, where a white supremacist went in there and said all Jews must die and just started shooting and, and slaughtering people. And then in Poway, California, the second one, where a young man went in there, 19 years old, again, wants to kill as many Jews as possible. And as he explains in his manifesto, one reason he's doing it is because he is a committed Christian, because he is born again and Jesus is his Lord and Savior. Wow. And as a Christian, he must kill the Jews who themselves are Christ killers. I never thought I'd see that happen on American soil. It's one mm. thing to read about this in history and hear about the horrors of it in history, but now I am encountering more Jew hatred in Jesus' name, I would say in the last year or two, than in the previous 48 years combined. Yeah, well, that's that's horrific. And I'm glad you you started going into this because I'd like to talk about how 
this is um, Christian anti-Semitism is prevalent in the church. And those are extreme cases, horrific cases that we need to think about. We need to recognize. Um, and at the same time, it's also manifesting in, in different ways as well. And I know, you know, when I first got saved, I was taught that when you read the Bible in the Old Testament, when it comes to the blessings of God, not the judgments of God, of course, you know, but the blessings and the promises of God, every time you hear a promise or a blessing on Israel, then we could replace that with the church or, you know, personalize it um, to me, which I, you know, a lot of people, um, I believe there's good intentions there. You know, they, they wanted me to be able to read from the Old Testament and receive from certain scriptures because Jews and Gentiles have now become one. So those promises are also for us um, as well. All those who are in Christ Jesus, Jews and Gentiles alike. But it was it was a form of replacement theology, which I would love to talk about here, but I'm, I'm grateful that I went to Christ for the Nations and there was a strong love for Israel and support of Israel and I was, you know, God really um, did a, a huge work in my heart, you know, for the nation of Israel and so, you know, I looked through the scriptures, always talks about praying for Israel and praying, and praying for the peace of Israel and, that, and this is the word of God and so our hearts need to be attuned to that, but I'd love to talk about replacement theology and its effects in the church because there's a lot of extreme cases of hatred and racism like you're discussing here, but like there's, you know, replacement theology, I believe, is, 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 has grown rampant in the church today. Right, so let's define what we mean. Replacement theology is the notion that the church has somehow replaced Israel in God's plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. Another word used is supersessionism. The church has superseded Israel. Many call it other things today. They call it fulfillment theology or expansion theology because they don't like to talk about replacement theology because they realize through church history, this is what opened up the door to Jew hatred through the centuries. This idea that God was finished with Israel, that the promises once given to Israel no longer applied to Israel, they were out. The Christians were the new ones. They were favored. Israel was rejected. People don't normally use the term replacement theology today, but in reality, the end results are the same. What they're saying is, Okay, if you read a promise that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament, it has nothing to do with modern Israel or the Jewish people as a whole today. Instead, that is applied spiritually to the church. Some would say the church is the new Israel. The church is spiritual Israel. Modern Israel today has no connection to biblical prophecy. There are no corporate promises that remain for the Jewish people. Rather, individual Jews can be saved, but there are no corporate promises. What happened to those corporate promises those are transferred over to the church. This doctrine, replacement theology, is terribly dangerous, and it's rising greatly in our day today. I have a whole chapter in Christian anti-Semitism that deals with that, and then other chapters that interact with it. Mm-hmm. In fact, the last chapter of the book, I asked the question, why is Jesus coming back to Jerusalem? You know, what's the significance of that? Why Jerusalem? If God's finished with Israel as a nation, and modern Israel has no connection to biblical prophecy, why is Jesus returning to Jerusalem? Of course, we open that up scripturally. But see, here's what's interesting. This theology was widely taught through the centuries. It did open the door to persecution of Jews in Jesus' name through the centuries. It doesn't mean everyone who held to replacement theology was anti-Semitic, but it opened the door to anti-Semitism mm-hmm. and often was connected yeah. with anti-Semitism. Well, what happened was the horrors of the Holocaust followed by the miraculous birth, rebirth of the modern state of Israel, really destroyed the idea of replacement theology. 
Number Mm -hmm. one, Christians were horrified when they realized what happened in so-called Christian Europe. They realized that the soil of Christian anti-Semitism in Europe for centuries paved the way for the Holocaust. So it was a time of deep church repentance and soul searching. And then out of the ashes of the Holocaust, completely impossible, modern Israel is rebirthed. And now you have a state in the Middle East, a Jewish state. How could you say God's finished with Israel? How could you say the promises no longer apply? Only Mm -hmm. God could have brought the Jewish people back. But the problem is, that's a long time ago now. I mean, our schools hardly even teach about the Holocaust. And Israel, that's like the superpower of the Middle East. And there, the the Goliath and the Palestinians and surrounding Muslim nations are just the little Davids. And everything has shifted in terms of sympathy. And with that, this old, faulty, wrong theology has risen up once again. And it must be combated because it is leading directly to outright anti-Semitism in the church. Yeah, and you you dive into this in depth in your book, Christian Anti-Semitism Confronting Lies in Today's Church. And so you you bring up, you know, how a lot of the arguments are, you know, the crucifixion of Christ, how the Jews, you know, killed Christ and the um, things that Jesus said about the Jews in that process, as well as some parables and some things that Jesus said in the Gospels or some you know, portions of the letters of Paul that people take out of context to replace, you know, the Jews with the Gentiles. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that. So people have some, some biblical context here of like, what scriptures are people? Because I think to a lot of believers in their minds, they're thinking like, how could, how could some people believe this? But at the same time, they are pulling scriptures and they're taking them out of context. But at the same time, like, I'd love to to hear a little biblical basis on that. Yes. So, there are a number of key verses that are used and quoted. I'll see them constantly on my social media channels on Ask Dr. Brown on Facebook or YouTube. A constant flood of the same misquotation of the same verse so as to demonize the Jews. For mm-hmm. example, John 8:44, Jesus said that Jews are of the devil. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Well, he is talking to Jewish people then who are rejecting his message and saying that you are showing yourselves to be children of the devil because you're lying and and you want to kill me just like Satan, who's a liar and a murderer. So does does the New Testament teach that all Jews are children of the devil? Well, if you want a New Testament teaching, it's everyone outside of Jesus is under the power of the evil one. Mm -hmm. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is the God of this world. Ephesians 2 tells us that by nature, before we were saved, we were all doing the will of the enemy, and, 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 and yeah. by our very nature, we're children of wrath. Mm-hmm. So everyone outside of Jesus is under the power of Satan in one way or another. It's not that the Jews get singled out. The issue is, are you in him or outside of him? Uh, or, for example, when Paul writes in Romans 9, 6, that not all Israel is Israel, then what people do is take everything else he says about Israel in, in Romans 9 through 11, culminating in Romans 11:26, that says all Israel will be saved. And they say, yeah, yeah, but not all Israel is Israel. And what Paul's explaining there is the promises haven't failed. There has always been a remnant that has by grace believed, just like in Elijah's mm-hmm. day, there were 7,000 who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Mm-hmm. And Paul's saying it's the same in our day. There's an Israel 
within Israel. He wasn't calling Gentiles Israel there. In fact, in the 11th chapter, he says, I'm writing to Gentiles. I I magnify my ministry to you Gentiles. I want you Gentiles to provoke my people Israel to envy. But what he's saying is there's an Israel within Israel. It would be like this. Let's say I'm speaking at a men's meeting, and I've got a thousand men there. And I say, man, I said, you're not a man if you don't take care of your wife, if you don't take care of your children. You're not a man if you're addicted to porn. You're not a, a man if you, if you spend your money on alcohol and drugs and, and neglect those in need in your family. You're not a man. Then I said, man, I'm talking to you. Well, okay, everybody understands. I'm saying a real man is this. Man, mm-hmm. I'm talking to you. Well, that's what Paul's saying. Hey, there's an Israel within Israel, and they've always received the promises, but the rest of the nation of Israel has not. And then 10 times, read it for yourself. Look it up in Greek, in Romans 9 through 11. After using it in that one way, there's an Israel within Israel. Not all Israel is Israel. Ten times he refers to the nation as a whole, the non-believing nation, as Israel, Israel, Israel. I've stretched out my hands to this disobedient nation. Israel did not obtain what it was looking for. Israel is hardened in part. That Israel will, in the end, turn and be saved. So, little verse, pulled out, misunderstood taken to say the church is Israel, that was not Paul's point at all. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, mm-hmm. the Jews killed Christ. And again, we get into this in real depth in the book, so folks that are interested in finding out more, yeah. we devote mm-hmm. a lot of space to it in, in Christian anti-Semitism. The Jews killed Christ. All Jews are guilty of the killing of Christ. I had a Catholic scholar say that on my radio show, that it's what Paul said. The Jews displeased God. The Jews are hostile to all men. The Jews killed Christ. The Jews killed the prophets. Actually, what Paul's saying in 1 Thessalonians 2, he's writing to these Gentile believers in Thessalonica and said, hey, you're having problems with your people. We're having problems with our own people. You're having problems in your homeland. We're having problems with the congregations in Judea. He says, in Judea are struggling with who? With the Judeans. The, the, The Greek word that's used there can mean Jew or it can mean Judeans. So he's saying, we're struggling with people in our own countrymen as well, and these same Jewish leaders or same Judeans or same Jews in Judah that killed the prophets, they killed the Messiah, they are hostile to God. He's not talking about all Jews through history. He's not blaming the death of Jesus on all Jews through history. He's saying, yeah, they're these bad apples we've been dealing with also, mm-hmm. and, and, they are, and this is who they are. The idea that he's damning all Jews or that a Jew living in an Orthodox Jewish community in Jerusalem today, studying 14 hours a day, who thinks that Jesus is directly connected to the Holocaust, and that's all he knows about him, that that guy is somehow a Christ killer. Yes. He's never mm-hmm. know who Jesus is, never been exposed mm-hmm. to it. That's another verse that's, that's misused. Galatians 3.16 that the promises were to the seed, and the seed is Christ, mm-hmm. and therefore the promises don't apply to Israel as a nation. We open that up, and we demonstrate that Paul could not have possibly meant that, because it doesn't work in Greek, or Hebrew, or even English. When you mm-hmm. translate the word offspring, uh, the, the word sp- uh, spermos in Greek as offspring, and be the same with zera in Hebrew, you translate it and, rightly, and say the promise was to Abraham's offspring, it doesn't say offsprings, plural, but to offspring. There is no such word as offsprings. The word offspring itself is a collective noun. 
Paul knew that. That's what the Greek means. Yeah. That's what the mm-hmm. Hebrew means. So he's giving a hyper-literal interpretation to explain to these Galatians, no, you don't have to become Jewish to be blessed because the promises are fulfilled in this one seed, the Messiah, yes. mm-hmm. through whom blessing comes to the whole world. But then elsewhere, even the end of the chapter, he talks about the seed, the plural form. He said, if you're children of Abraham, you're Abraham's seed, if you're followers of Jesus. And then he talks about it in Romans 15, Romans 4, and he says that the Messiah doesn't cancel the promises to the nation of Israel. He confirms them. To whom? <laughs> Abraham's seed, meaning here his physical descendants. So I, I can't tell you how many times people will pull out one verse out of context without understanding, (laughs) and with that negate literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other verses that clearly speak of Israel's future destiny. It's unbelievable. It happens in almost every uh, theological stream. It's talking about the Jews and grace and uh, every every you know topic you could bring up. People are just prone to pull one verse and you know completely out of context, not read the few verses before or after, get the full context of everything. And so that's why it's important to break these things down, to have those who are like Bereans studying the word of God and, and, you know, teaching in the body of Christ and the Lord's bringing revelation and bringing these things to light. And so I love the fact that you brought up Jerusalem and Jesus coming back to Jerusalem. And you did mention earlier in the broadcast that some people who ascribe to replacement theology, um, not all of them were anti-Semitic, but it did open the door for that. And so for people who aren't necessarily anti-Semitic or, you know, um, hating Jews, or, or against Jews, like why is it important to have a strong biblical foundation in this? Like when it comes to Israel, you know, in the in the manifestation in the end times and the promises there and how Jesus is returning in Jerusalem. Why is this so important for believers who aren't anti-Semitic to really grasp this biblical worldview? So Israel is mentioned more than two thousand times, maybe about twenty five hundred times in the Bible. The land of Israel mentioned over and over and over again. And it was Derek Prince, great Bible teacher, who put it like this. He said, Israel is like the top button on your shirt. And if you button that wrong, all the other buttons will be out of order. <laughs> That's good. And it's really, really true. When you see the importance of this, when you recognize all the apostles are Jewish, the Messiah is Jewish, the city that will come down from heaven one day is the new Jerusalem. He's returning to this earthly Jerusalem, and he will not return until this earthly Jerusalem welcomes him back as the Messiah, which we see in Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. Then we understand that this is actually pretty big. Mm -hmm. When you realize that, that Paul devotes three chapters of Romans laying out foundational doctrine to lay out God's purposes for Israel, you realize this is really big. This is not the kind of thing we can overlook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you build a two-story house and finish the first story, you don't then knock it out and build the second. You build the second on top of it. And, and that's what has to happen, that the new is built on the old, that everything in the new presupposes what came in the old, and God will keep his promises. He's faithful to do that. Mm-hmm. Gentile believers are grafted into Israel's extended family, and we are spiritually equal. In him, there's no Jew nor Gentile, there's no slave nor free, there's no male nor female. We're equal. There's no caste system or class system. And yet these identities and distinctions exist, just like male and female distinctions exist, and that the two coming together bring wholeness. Out of our diversity, we find unity. And when you think of God working on the earth today, how central Israel is, 
And you can even see where people stand towards God based on how they stand towards Israel. Do they have this demonic hatred and desire to wipe them out? Do they demonize all the people? Mm. That shows their stance and their view towards the God that, that brought them back. So there's so many reasons why this is important to Christians, even the enriching of their own lives with better understanding. I, I know many leaders and individual believers who attribute the richness of God working in their lives and the blessing of God on their ministry to their recognizing the importance of Jewish evangelism. Mm -hmm. Paul says that the gospel mm -hmm. is to the Jew first. doesn't just mean historically, but even in terms of gospel priority, the Jew first, also the Gentile. You know, even, even in little ways, God sometimes makes clear that Israel matters to him. Uh, since you were at CFNI in Dallas, you know mm -hmm. Gateway Church, one yeah. of the biggest churches in the country, and to my knowledge, the most giving church in America. Over five years ago, no, in fact, over six years ago, they were giving away well over a million dollars a month to missions. When they did their first building project, it was a $14 million building project. They were only four years old as a congregation. At a certain point, they told everyone, stop we have all the money we need. Stop giving. They don't even receive offerings in the service. They just have uh, offering baskets in the back, et cetera, mm, boxes. Yeah. Well, I tell that story to say that Robert Morris analyzed this with the elders in his church, Pastor Robert Morris, and said, why have we been so blessed financially? Why do we have so much to give away and help others with? And they said, it's not just because Robert's a good preacher. It's not just because they're in a wealthy area. It's not just because they do things with excellence. They said it's because we take the first fruits of all of our income, the first 10 or 15%, whatever it is, we designate that for missions, but we take the first fruits of that and designate that for outreach and compassionate ministry in Israel. So the first check they write every month is to outreach and compassionate ministry in Israel. And they believe that's why they've been so blessed financially. Wow. Mm. So, I'm not saying this to get people to give. I'm saying it, it's just God's way, even in a little physical thing like that, to say it does matter, and I want the world to know it. Mm, I believe that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I believe that to be true in my life. You know, we've seen so much fruit in giving to Israel and giving to missions, and just in general, you know, I love just gathering around people who have a have a you know a, a truth based worldview biblically, who love and support the, the Jewish nation. Um, Israel and and so I want to I want to kind of sum this up because this is a, this is a kind of a different question going a little different angle here, but I also have been to several churches that you know they are you know in America predominantly you know Gentile people like not non Jewish people but they focus so heavily on the law and Jewish culture and tradition. I went to one church in San Antonio where they literally blew a shofar and they carried this Ark of the Covenant and they were dressed in old, you know, high priestly robes and they did like this practice straight from the Old Testament. They so highly elevate the Jews and the nation of Israel and they even adopt the cultural traditions in the Old Testament for the Jewish people because they believe that it will somehow get them closer to God, get them more blessed, uh, you know, more spiritual. I'd love for you to highlight that because it's almost the other end of the spectrum as well, but it's, it's, it's prevalent and that's also on the rise. And I would love to hear your input on that. Yeah, it is the other end of the spectrum. The, mm -hmm. the bottom line is, uh, the bottom line is that it is Jesus Yeshua who is central. 
not Jewishness, not Jewish custom, not Jewish tradition. We've got to remember that. And if we will keep our eyes focused on the Son of God in worship and adoration, if we will give ourselves to proclaiming him to a lost and dying world, and if we will determine to cultivate life in the Spirit, we'll never fall into either of these extremes. We'll never mm-hmm. fall into the extreme of, of anti-Semitism in Jesus' name, which is a complete oxymoron. We'll never fall into the stream of, of Gentiles trying to take on Jewish identity as if somehow this brings them closer to God. In reality, recovering the Jewish roots of the faith is beautiful and healthy yes. and wonderful. Mm-hmm. A Gentile trying to be, uh, become a traditional Jew is, is like putting a dress on a man. It is, it is not who that person is, mm-hmm. and it's not ultimately helpful. By the way, it also hurts our witness as Jews to our own people, because they see people like that and think we're all just weird. Yeah. They see mm-hmm. people like that, and like I say, it, it's like putting a dress on a man. Of course, that's more common these days in our culture, <laughs> unfortunately. True. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's not who they are. It's not natural. So they just think, well, we're all like that. We're all just superficial. It's all just a bunch of outward things. So I find people stray in these areas when they take their attention off the head, take their attention off their focus on Jesus, and, and fi- try to find an identity outside of him. It's a real danger. It's a real issue. And of course, it's something I've combated over the years as well. Oh, absolutely. And for those who are listening, many of you are familiar with Dr. Michael Brown's ministry, but for those who aren't, if you have tough questions, if you want to know how to speak to Muslims and Jews and you know all different kinds of people about your faith, I would highly recommend grabbing his resources as well as tuning into the line of fire, uh, because I, I, I want to say this about you, uh, Dr. Brown, that um, I've, I've never heard somebody, maybe Ravi Zacharias, but I've never heard anybody who um, spoke the truth and boldness, but also um, so much love and so much grace infused as well. And you've spoken to people and you've said very, you know, bold truths to, uh, to, to individuals, rabbis, homosexuals, all these, you know, Muslims, and you've spoken very bold truths without holding back or diluting the gospel. But at the same time, it was, it was definitely infused with the love of God and the grace of God. And so, I really appreciate your ministry, and I highly recommend for everybody to tune into it. Yeah, folks, go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. They'll get uh, all the information, and we'll be able to be a blessing to them uh, beyond this podcast. Awesome. So Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, is that where they can connect with Line of Fire? Can they get your resources there? How else can they connect with you? All there, askdrbrown.org. They'll find links to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube channel, the Daily Line of Fire broadcast, we do a live stream on Facebook and on YouTube, but it's also linked right there. So that's the place to start. Um, get our emails. You'll get a free mini book, Seven Secrets of the Real Messiah, an ebook, and then some real neat stuff about our testimony and background. So askdrbrown.org, set up for the emails, check out all the resources there. Yeah, well, we definitely didn't scratch the surface today on this topic. <laughs> we laid a foundation. We we definitely uh, you know went down some avenues here and brought some enlightenment and revelation. But you you need to grab a hold of Christian anti-Semitism, confronting lies in today's church. Um, he dives deep into these subjects, answers a lot of questions, reveals a lot of truth. And so, thank you, Doctor Brown, for joining me today. 
My joy. God bless. Keep up the good work, man. <laughs> Same to you. Uh, for those who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so we can get it out to more people so uh, they could be strengthened, encouraged, blessed, as well as awakened to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless you guys next time, and I'll talk to you on Awaken Podcast. Hello, let me tell you about this amazing online store, The Hope Filled Journey. You'll definitely want to check it out today. Michelle and Renee Torres, they started up this online store in obedience to the Holy Spirit in the midst of a crazy year, like we all know. Uh, Full-time jobs, raising four children, and they stepped out in faith, and God is honoring them every step of the way. You go to www.thehopevilledjourney.com. It's where you'll find extraordinary products, clothes, fashion accessories, jewelry, and more. Their goal is to inspire faith through their product line as well as high quality and all they do and produce, which we know is very, very important. Um, check it out today, thehopefilledjourney.com, and you'll get $10 off when you spend $50 or more. And you'll also get $20 off of your purchase if you spend $100 or more with promo code AWAKEN. So go to www.thehopefilledjourney.com. You'll get $10 off when you spend $50 or more, and you'll get $20 off if with, with a purchase of $100 or more with promo code AWAKEN. I highly recommend it. It's an incredible store, so make sure to go to thehopefilledjourney.com today. <music>